Chapter Eleven of Odd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Odd by Amy Lefreuve. Chapter Eleven: A Daring Feat. It was a hot afternoon in July. The children had tired themselves out with play and were resting under some shady trees near the farm. By and by, Betty wandered off into a neighboring cornfield and rested her head against an old log of wood in the corner of it, went fast asleep, whilst Prince sat at her feet, keeping a faithful watch over his little mistress. Mr. Russell, sauntering through a footpath in the field, came up and looked at them, and his artist's eye was at once charmed with the picture they made. He stood, and taking out his sketchbook, drew a rapid outline of Betty's little figure as she lay there, one hand grasping some red poppies, and the other arm thrown behind her curly head. Prince was also sketched, and then Betty awoke. She looked confused at first, then jumped to her feet. "'Don't be frightened,' said Mr. Russell gravely. "'Do you live near here?' Betty pointed out the farm." "'And do you think you would be allowed to come to my house one day "'for me to make a picture of you?' "'Betty colored with pleasure. "'I'll ask Nurse. All by myself?' "'All by yourself, at least with your dog. "'Where is your nurse? "'Would she come out here to speak to me?' "'Nurse was only in the next field, so was easily fetched, "'and though demurring somewhat at first, "'was soon reassured by Mr. Russell.' who promised to keep her only about an hour. "'I will see she returns to you safely, my good woman, and when you find that she has come to no harm, perhaps you will allow her to come again. I want to make a little sketch of her for a subject I have in view.' And it was settled that Betty should go to him the next day at two o'clock. "'I don't quite like it,' said Nurse afterwards, when talking it over with Mrs. Giles. "'But he seemed rather a high-handed gentleman, as if he wouldn't take no.' I don't know whether the mistress would like it. Most children would be shy of it, but none of these seem to know what shyness is. And Miss Betty seems to make friends wherever she goes. I can't understand it. Miss Molly, to my eyes, is much the most taking. Mr. Russell is our landlord, responded Mrs. Giles. He's a proper sort of gentleman, and he won't hurt the children by a painting of her. He lives all alone since his little girl died, and maybe she'll cheer him up. He's very downhearted, folks say. Why shouldn't you go and not us? said Molly, when Betty ran off to tell them all about it. It's too bad. You're getting all the nice things, and I'm the eldest. I don't expect you'll like it, said Douglas, rolling over on the grass and tickling Bobby's bare legs with a bunch of grass. I know the man, and he has an awful temper. Sam told me he's thrashed a boy who was taking a bird's nest out of his orchard, and he has a large glass room with skeletons and bits of people's bodies laying all about. I think he likes to get children in there, and then he keeps them prisoners and never lets them out again. Betty stood still, eyeing her brother doubtfully. I don't believe it. You wait till he gets you there. He has dead men's legs and hands. Sam says he's seen them through the window. He's a bluebeard. He always keeps the room locked and doesn't let anyone in. And if he takes you in there tomorrow afternoon, you'll never come out again. And then I shall have Prince and take him back to London for my dog, put in Molly. 
"'Prince is coming with me,' Betty retorted. "'So if I never come back again, Prince won't. "'And I don't care if we don't come back. "'I'd rather live with Mr. Russell than with you when you are cross.' "'He'll fatten you up with porridge for a week, "'and then he'll cut you up into little bits, and Prince, too.' "'Betty laughed and danced away, Prince at her heels. "'You're jealous because I'm going to be put into a picture,' she called out. "'I'll tell you all about the dead men's legs when I come back.' "'The next afternoon she was taken up to the hall by nurse, "'who arrayed herself in her best clothes, "'and was delighted when she was taken to the housekeeper's room to be entertained. "'She would have liked to wait there the full hour, "'but Mr. Russell had promised to bring back Betty himself, "'so she had not that excuse.' and Douglas and Molly were consoling themselves at home by building a hay-castle in the meadow and capturing Bobby and Billy at intervals under the plea of painting their pictures, and then going through a process which was more entertaining to them than to their little victims, that of cutting off their arms and legs to hang on their walls. It was nearly five o'clock when Betty returned, and her little tongue was busy all tea-time. "'Such a funny room!' "'And Mr. Russell has changed his mind, and he isn't going to paint my picture, "'but he's going to make a dead figure of me and Prince instead. "'He's got some white, wet stuff like putty, and he rolls up his shirt-sleeves like a workman. "'I had to lie down and pretend to be asleep, but I could keep my eyes open, "'and I did see some legs, but they're images. "'And there was an image without a head, and a dead figure, you know. "'And there were beautiful curtains, and flowers, and rugs, and pictures half-finished.' It was rather an untidy room. I told Mr. Russell what you said, Douglas, and he laughed. He gave me some peaches, and then we had a nice, grave talk coming home. This and more Betty revealed, and her visits to the hall became very frequent as time wore on. If she enjoyed them, Mr. Russell did too, and yet she brought to him mingled feelings of pleasure and pain. He talked lightly to her and put aside his stern moods whilst with her, but every now and then some childish gesture or tone would stab him with the memory of his little daughter, and his brows would contract and his voice falter at the remembrance. One day he was called away from the studio, and for some time Betty was left alone. When he returned, he found her lying flat on her chest, turning over the leaves of a book. "'What book have you got hold of?' he asked. "'Something that seems to interest you.' "'It's Revelation,' said Betty with a beaming face." the bible i did not remember i had one in the room ah yes i remember it's here for its antique cover well what do you make of revelation oh i love it don't you i'm reading about the singing in heaven and it says ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands what crowds there will be mr russell supposing heaven gets too small for all the people what will happen i don't think there's a chance of that "'Mr. Russell said, smiling. "'It doesn't look as if many are bound there in the present age, at all events.' "'It says,' went on Betty, with her finger on the page, "'For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, "'out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. "'That takes in everybody, doesn't it, Mr. Russell?' "'Yes,' said Mr. Russell, looking down at the little figure on the floor, "'half humorously, half sadly.' "'everyone that wants to be taken in.' "'Why should anyone want to be outside?' questioned the child. "'Mr. Russell did not answer. "'He went to his outline and uncovered it. "'It was rapidly progressing. 
Betty's little figure was nearly finished. There was a gnarled log of wood against which she lay, and Prince's outline had already been commenced. She jumped up and came over to look at it. It would make a beautiful grave, wouldn't it? she said thoughtfully. I should like to have it put on top of mine when I die. Don't talk about dying, child, was the hasty reply. I'm afraid I'm not ready, said Betty, with a shake of her curly head. But I will be when I've been through tribulation. Mr. Russell, do you think a dog can go through tribulation? No, I do not, said Mr. Russell, laughing. Betty's view on her favorite texts were, by this time, well known to him, and he generally treated her childish difficulties with respect, but this unexpected question was too much for him, and Betty's little face clouded over at his laugh. She was very silent after that, and went home with rather a wistful little face. But all serious thoughts were dissolved at the news that awaited her. Molly rushed out, her long hair flying in the wind. I've got a letter from Uncle Harry, and he's coming to see us next week. And he's going to spend a week with us. He's going to fish, and I shall fish too, shouted Douglas. And Uncle Harry will have a quicket with us, cried the twins. Of course he wrote to me, as I'm the eldest, said Molly proudly. If you'll be very good, I'll read you his letter. And producing a very crumpled envelope from her pocket, she read, Dear Madam Molly, I have had orders from your respected parents to come down for an inspection of you all. So expect me Tuesday, the 27th inst. Tell nurse all complaints will be attended to, and punishment duly administered. She must get me a room somewhere for a week, as I have heard there is good fishing in your neighborhood. My love to Dowdy Douglas and the three B's. Your affectionate uncle, Harry. P.S. Tell nurse I shall bring a rod with me. "'Isn't he a funny dear?' went on Molly. "'He pretends he's coming to punish us. "'Won't we have fun when he comes?' "'He doesn't know there are six of us now,' observed Betty, with sparkling eyes. "'I wonder what he'll say to Prince.' The children could do little else but talk about their uncle's coming visit for the next week, and when at last Tuesday arrived, they were in a great state of excitement. Nurse could hardly curb their turbulent spirits. Captain Stewart was adored by his little nephews and nieces, and his visits were always a golden time. At last, after rescuing Douglas from a farm wagon that he was driving off during the carter's absence, Molly and Betty, from an infuriated sow that they were trying to wash under the pump, and Bobby and Billy from the hay cutter they were meditating using, Nurse locked up all the five in the garret, hoping they would be safe there until their uncle arrived. Prince was left outside and all Betty's beseeching petitions that he might share their punishment were unheeded by Nurse. So Prince crouched down outside the door, patiently keeping watch, and now and then responding to his little mistress's voice through the keyhole by sundry whines and barks. "'Nurse won't dare to put us in cells after today,' said Douglas wrathfully. "'She is just doing it to pretend to Uncle Harry that we're always in disgrace, and I hate her.' "'And I was going down to the brook to get some forget-me-nots to put in Uncle Harry's room,' said Molly plaintively. "'It's rather nice being punished altogether,' said Bobby, who always dreaded being left alone. Betty said nothing. Her curly head was out of one of the windows, and she was deep in thought. At last she drew it in. "'Supposing the house was to take fire, and we were all to be locked in here,' she suggested.' 
Molly looked quite frightened at the thought, but Douglas rose to the occasion, and he said triumphantly, "'Yes, nurse would be in a pretty state then. Farmer Giles would rush off for a fire-engine, and we would throw up the windows, and then I'd get out on the roof and make a speech. I'd remind nurse of all the nasty things she has said and done to us since we were babies, how she has said over and over again there were never such children in the world, and that we nearly drove her mad.' and then I'd say she'd be sorry now when she was going to see us burnt before her eyes, and she would be sobbing and crying, and so would Mrs. Giles and Sam and all the others. But they might get ladders to take us down, suggested Molly. There's only one ladder long enough. Sam would put that up, but the flames underneath the floor would come out and burn the ladder in two, and there's no fire escape. They don't seem to have them in the country." I should go on speaking as long as I could, and then I should say we didn't wish to go down to our graves angry, so we would forgive her, only we hoped the next children she had she would be kinder to. And then I would say good-bye, and the roof would be cracking underneath me, and Nurse would scream and cry, and then I would take a leap right into the middle of the fire, and there would be a kind of explosion, and the house would fall in. And the next day there would be five heaps of bones and black ashes, all that was left of us and Nurse would sit down with a broken heart in the middle of us. Bobby and Billy had been listening to this awful story with their eyes nearly starting out of their heads, and now both burst into sobs of terror. "'We're going to be burnt! Nurse, nurse, let us out! We will be good!' They were hushed up in scorn by Douglas, but Molly soothed and comforted them, assuring them it was only a make-up, and that the house never would catch fire." "'And if it did catch fire, I would get out safe,' said Betty solemnly, "'for I should climb out of the window and walk along the gutter, "'holding on by the roof, "'and then I should climb down by the pear-tree over Uncle Harry's bedroom.' "'You couldn't do it,' said Douglas scoffingly. "'Girls can't climb.' "'I could do it. I could do it now.' "'Then do it. Do it. I dare you to do it. Betty's eyes sparkled, and Molly at once left the twins and ran to the window and put her head out. I think she could do it if we lifted her out, but it looks awful dangerous. I should be afraid. I'm not a bit afraid, said Betty sturdily. Wait till you're once out. I dare you to do it. And Douglas danced up and down in delight at the coming excitement. Not a doubt entered Betty's head as to the right or wrong of such an escapade. Her impulsive little soul was longing to prove to her brother her ability in climbing, and audacious as she was in daring feats, this seemed to be a test of her powers. The garret window was opened. It was in the roof, so Betty had no difficulty in climbing out and standing in the gutter, which ran right round the house. Then slowly and carefully, in sight of the four admiring faces at the window, she commenced her perilous walk. Steadying herself by leaning with one hand on the sloping roof at her right, Betty walked triumphantly on till she reached the corner of the house. Here she hesitated. "'Come back!' called out Molly. "'You can't turn the corner!' "'I dare you to go on!' Naughty Douglas cried excitedly. There was breathless silence, but others beside the little inmates of the garret were watching this feat in horror. Two gentlemen were walking leisurely through the meadow in front of the house. "'What on earth is that on the roof, Stuart? Not a child, surely!' "'A child, it is, good heavens! It is one of my hopeful nieces. She'll be dashed to pieces to a certainty. 
Come on, St. Clair, only don't make a row. They reached the house as Betty was in the act of turning the corner. For a moment the little figure swayed outwardly, and Captain Stewart quite expected that moment to be Betty's last. But she recovered her balance most miraculously, accomplished the turn successfully, and went steadily on till she reached the pear tree. Both gentlemen remained perfectly silent, knowing that a start might produce a false step, and they watched her descend to the ground now with less anxiety. Halfway down had Betty got when there was a rushing sound of feet, and Nurse, with a scream of horror, appeared on the scene. Betty's nerves gave way. She placed her foot on a rotten branch, which broke under her. Her hands relaxed their hold. Another scream from Nurse, echoed by Mrs. Giles behind her, and the child fell heavily, but safely, into her uncle's arms below. End of chapter 11 Recording by Maggie Travers in Casilla, Mississippi.